and welcome to another exciting episode of Dungeons and Diapers. My name is Crofton Steers. I'm one of the two hosts of this show. With me, my co-host par excellence, or at least par, uh, I guess, what's what's less than excellent, but may, par good, I guess. Mm. Uh, Ryan Ryan Murphy. Thank you. Welcome, Ryan. Merci. I realized when I said like excellent, I'm like I, I, you know, I can't bump this guy's tires up. I, I wanted to say, you know, par average, mm. you know, well, like which is good in golf. It's good to have an average par. I'm terrible at golf, so like, yeah, I don't yeah, know if I that if that if you needed to know that. I think I would like to like, I would like to play golf again or try it again. I feel like maybe I would like it more now that i'm older and can do less other fun things oh golf slam yeah golf slam um or you know you could you could try to win a stanley cup but and then you could get really good at golf because uh yeah golf is like i'm really bad at adult things like things that are associated like i don't drink so i i don't have beer or wine so that's like an adult thing you know golf is like an adult thing there's not many kids that play you know, and then when it's like, oh, hey, let's get sushi. I hate sushi. That's like an adult thing. Like, I'm like a giant kid in an arrested development. <laughs> You're going to get comments for the sushi. Look, I mentioned I didn't like sushi, and that would explain why you were very quiet in our in our Discord chat, our group chat about sushi. Because I, I was like, I was getting in, not in trouble, but I, I was getting comments about not liking. Look, I've never had sushi, so I can't say, like, I'll never have sushi. Oh, I'll, I'll have Well, it, but... spoiler, Ryan, it's disgusting. Oh. If you if you eat seafood if you sorry if you eat seaweed most of the time then you'll have no problem eating like if you told me hey Crofton you want to eat this food I'm gonna wrap it in seaweed I would be like well that already sounds not super appealing don't worry it's raw fish I'm like okay well I'm out um, I will say though that you know I don't know like. I feel like my brain is stopping me from enjoying sushi. Like when I have it, I literally gag. Even the vegetarian one, I'm like, I can, I'm almost gagging. So we've just lost about, I would say, 33% of our audience here, but, um, which is one of the three people. Um, but, uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Uh, but, uh, but, <laughs> but, but yeah, anyway, uh, I will say sushi is not for me. You know what is for me, Ryan? What? Striking. So, uh, Last Bowling. time, is that right? Yeah, I know. Uh, striking, oh. uh, workers united will never be defeated. Ryan, I'm a union man. I tell you, last episode, I sort of called it a little bit. I was talking about how it looked like we were heading to strike. Boom, shakalaka, we are on strike, which I have never done before, but the novelty is rapidly wearing off. Um, and it's been it's been really interesting. And the only thing I can compare it to a little bit is like it sounds odd, but a high school reunion except for work. Cause like I'm out on the picket lines with all these people from all these other jobs I work. Like I keep changing jobs, but we're all under the same union. And so we're all getting together and we're we're, you know, doing these marches for fair wages and all of that sort of thing. And it's, it's, uh, it's been really, um, it's been really interesting. It's also like being a lot of walking. I was telling you before the show, I think I've walked 13 kilometers today. And um, this is like the eighth day of the strike. So uh, I've been 
putting my steps in and I have not been in great walking shape and my legs are absolutely uh, destroyed. Like I feel like I'm going to be really either in great shape or dead by the end of this, at the end of the first day when I walked, like it's normally like for walking that distance, you might even prep a little bit. You would do like some practice, but when a strike starts, you just start doing it and it's on concrete marching and, and you know, you're not running, but still walking that long. I came home and I was like, they win. Like I, I give up, you know, uh, oh. I can't do this, but, uh, but no, over time I'm, I'm getting a, a little bit better at it, but Holy moly, it's a lot of walking. Yeah, no, it's uh, and this is you know, I had no idea. So here's the thing: I I could tell you you probably were you know having a rough go with it, and we're very like that's tiring. It is tiring to be outside, and the weather it's Canadian spring, so you're dealing with not too hot, not too cold, but just wild swings of the temperature. Raining. Wild swings, yes, raining. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful today. Oh, now it's shitty. It's raining. It's cold. It's warm. Like yeah. I will say that. Like I mean, it's not like the winter, and I would say like it's not the summer either. This might be the best time for striking in terms of like temperature because you are, you know, you are walking, and if it was like forty degrees outside. Um, celsius i would be dying if it was minus 40 i would be dying so this is kind of like a decent in between yeah i just i just feel like it is it's definitely you know a layered approach but like in one day it can start off as a nice day and then turn into like like very rainy so but but, you know that being said like I'm, i'm really glad that you're out there you're doing it every day i like it's hard work but it's getting a lot of uh a lot of coverage I've certainly noticed it uh, popping up all over the place. Uh, you know, it's a big story in Canada. I'm part of for context for uh, our American listener. Um, the uh, the it is the biggest union. I'm part of the biggest union uh, in Canada. The biggest labor group. This is the biggest labor action in Canadian history, um, and so it does have that trickle down effect, right? And as we're struggling with the aftermath of the pandemic. Uh, you know, are we working in offices? Are we working remotely? Is it going to be a mix of both? Um, I, I have, because I work for the Canadian government, it's a bit of a company town where I live. Like everybody works for the government, but it also means that like jobs have been limited to only this area. So, you know, if you wanted to work for the Canadian government and you lived in, we're the second biggest country in the world. If you live way on one side of the country, well, you pretty much couldn't do it. Or you could only work for a small regional office or whatever. But now everybody can work whenever, wherever, thanks to technology uh, following the pandemic and it's time that we sort of caught up to it so we're trying to figure all of this stuff out and this labor negotiation will set the bar for that and it will then have a trickle-down effect to all the other negotiations both um, around the government workers like me but also regular workers um, in in the private sector and all of that like if I don't get it they're not getting it either we're the biggest big bargaining power agent in the in the country and so a lot of folks are watching with a tremendous amount um, of curiosity and I honestly don't know how long it's gonna go again we're on day eight we record this podcast every two weeks I would love to say next time that we sat down that oh we reached a deal and everything's hunky-dory and I'm back at work because again this has been fun chanting and drumming and watching people dressed in all sorts of costumes and music and all of that but it's also very tiring and i'm pretty much ready 
to go back to work now if there was a, an offer that made sense. So it is very interesting. I've never been in a strike in my career before. I know people have strong opinions about labor and unions one way or the other way. I definitely have strong opinions um, about it. I think the union movement is responsible for a lot of the benefits we enjoy today from everything like maternity and paternity leave to um to like sick even sick leave compliments and and all of this stuff that 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 is kind of standard now all come from hard fought you know struggles and as we move into this new generation it'll be interesting to see like this could be a bellwether negotiation at least for canada so we're in the national news every single day uh and um i know there's some inconvenience to canadians but i'm 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 hoping that it all gets resolved uh, short, shortly. There was something very interesting that happened to me related to the strike. I'm going to save for the diapers. So that's a little tease for, we normally lead with the dungeons. We'll do the diapers after, but, uh, but yeah, there's, there's something, there's a, there's a funny story. I, I, I have, uh, I'm a, I'm a national celebrity, Ryan. Well, wow. we'll talk about that later. You're on a very popular podcast. You get mentioned uh, quite a lot on a on a very popular podcast as well. And I oh, I'm an say, international celebrity for that. That's true. That's I true. Forgot. That is a is international sensation. Which brings us to uh, this fun little segment. What about what's his um, name? Uh, uh, Crofton. Crofton. He's got some. Crofton. Uh, I'm going to label this one. Look, this is not going to be a misdirect like last week, uh, where uh, where where this happened. Ryan, John misspoke. <laughs> Ryan. Um. This is a little bit. This is a little bit of a misdirect. I'm going to call it Crofton explains core. Like if you're wondering what this segment is, uh, Crofton's friend Bo is on the podcast core as part of the Frog Pants Network, and Bo will often bring up Crofton. Sometimes mistakenly mention my name, which is uh, which is nice every once in a while to hear. Um, but uh, you know, there's more to Bo's world than Crofton, and. I often wonder if folks who listen to Core that don't listen to Dungeons and Diapers, they're really missing out on a good chunk of the context that happens because like they really don't get into the gritty details of the of the Crofton universe, right? So this is a bit of a I want Crofton to explain um his side uh not not his side, but explain a little bit more about this. Anyways, listen to this. You know, we have um we have a gaming Mike and Crofton I game with them and we have another friend, Breck. Oh, I haven't heard of Breck. Okay. But yeah, Breck's a friend, and we kind of been recruiting him into games and stuff, but he's very, he, he's smart. He's really good at strategy games. He beats everyone constantly, but he doesn't play too many games, so there's a good information exchange going on. Yeah. But I, he doesn't like being recorded. We, I like to, you know, my friends, we make entertaining stream content. I'm usually like, you mind if I stream? Everyone's like, nope, great. He's like, yes, I mind if I, you should stream. And I'm like, ooh, I don't know about this dynamic. Wow. <laughs> I think if you're going to play games with us, you're going to have to say yes sooner or later or, you know. Are you not playing? Sort of well, thing. it's just how I play games. I like to have the memories and, mm-hmm. you know, and sure. make money. And, my, you know, they're entertaining. So, anyways, he's nervous. My mom was nervous. Everyone's I can nervous. Just tell. Yeah. yeah, so I don't think much don't as think I would like an additional nine dollars a month. <laughs> I don't want to make anybody. No. All right. So Crofton, uh, I don't know why I let that go on so long, but um, uh, who's Breck? And and uh, he, he look. I also have a friend who who doesn't like to be um, streamed. Like when we when streaming starts, it gets a little quiet. He I don't think he like outright refuses like this Breck character does, but. Um, I can understand where he's coming from, right? 
Well, if you listen to Good, Bad, or Bullshit, which was our uh, OG podcast, if you will, Bo and my podcast, that Ryan Murphy guest starred on. I did. He was actually the second or third guest. I think the second guest was Scott himself, and the first guest was Breck. Um, and we did an episode with Breck uh, way back when, and he's just like what one of the friends that you're hanging out with. Jovial guy has great, interesting opinions. You just think, wow, this guy would make a great addition to a podcast or something like that. But you put a mic in front of him, and no, he doesn't want to be on the record. And I will say that he is a lawyer, and I think lawyers are very mindful of like having their words recorded or ever, you know, like they want plausible deniability in, in all things, I think, you know, partly. So it is very, it is very interesting because it did surprise me as well that he's like, Oh yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not big on, on the streaming. Let's, let's just play. I did laugh in that clip hearing Bo explain. <laughs> for, for the memories like he wants to he's i want to stream it and keep this stuff for the me for the memories and also the money um you know like it's like yeah it's clearly the money i i have a hard time thinking that Bo is sitting there being like let me go through my memories um but uh let me go through my stack of money <laughs> but uh but yeah anyway uh breck breck is a great guy and is is our fourth but he is um being very busy because of the lawyer thing Mm -hmm. um, and he's just done a career shift and that career shift has made it so he's available to play with us again. Um, and so, uh, yeah, both video games and board games and it comes, and it, it comes with that struggle. I'm sure Breck would have really appreciated both Bo and I airing his entire story on our respective podcasts. Luckily he will never listen to them. Yeah. I do find it kind of funny as I'm listening to it. I really, I'm just contributing to his his fear so he guessed it on good bad or bullshit how did you manage to convince him if he was if he didn't like to be recorded because i would feel like if he got a topic because it was randomly generated right you know maybe i'm conflating memories here like i'm just trying to think did he just flat out refuse or did he do one with us and then and then it was like just really awkward and then we didn't do it again it's one of those two i thought it was something about sports and that he did it he did that one. I'd have to go back through the archive to be sure, sure. But either way, came up with GBB back in the day as well. Cool. Well, there you go. I mean, uh, hopefully, you know, I, I, I understand Bo likes to stream games. It doesn't bother me. I, I like. I don't. I, I don't mind if if he's streaming. But you know, this isn't me just uh, begging for an invite or anything. But like, if you do drop Breck, there's always that option. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I, I will. I will just say that um, it is a larger esoteric conversation that people should be having a little bit with their friends and stuff. You know, uh, there's streamers and there's people who don't want to stream and everybody has a set amount of free time. So if your friend wants to stream and you don't like, how does that work? Like, I think it is, I think it is an interesting topic that's becoming sort of more prevalent, especially like, you know, the reality is that if we stream a video game, like a four player video game and Bo is doing the streaming on his end, what does it change for me? Really? Not much. Like my curmudgeon friend, Mike, who hates everything to do with this stuff, still doesn't mind because it doesn't really interfere with him, except that every once in a while, Bo will interrupt at interrupt us and say thanks for the sub hyper bunny 67 you know um <laughs> yeah i don't i don't particularly like that aspect of it because it's hard to know when it's about to happen um right but like that's that's not 
it, it is what it is. I, I understand going in like that's what's going to happen, but uh, sometimes it can be, you can be mid conversation and depending on who you're streaming with it, it. I've seen it. I see, I've seen it on Twitch streams before, right? Where it's like they're mid conversation and they stop and like, Oh, thanks to such and such a person for con- contributing 300 bits. Sorry. What were you saying? Right, right. Exactly. That's, but it, I mean, it's, it, it's not both streams are not popular enough that that's constantly <laughs> happening. So I mean, if it was, then I might have different differing opinions. So um, if it happens who, every once in a while, and you wait till a lull to give the shout out, I think that's totally yeah. the right approach. Yeah, no, for for sure. And every once in a while, somebody will ask a question or a comment in the chat. We try to avoid like we, we were playing Sea of Thieves together, or whatever. We try to avoid spoilers, like somebody telling us the answer to a puzzle. But sometimes the chat will boast like, "Oh, there's somebody in the chat that's." that's saying we should look around here or whatever. And I appreciate that a lot because it often saves us a bunch of time in those, um, in those types of games. So, I mean, there's definitely benefit for it, but we're all comfortable with it. Whereas, you know, I can see a situation where your friend is not and having, having that conversation beforehand is important. Yes. It is just interesting. And as kids get older, like streaming with your kids, like what is acceptable? Like you're, providing consent for them. Like if Gwen and I were to play Sea of Thieves multiplayer and I'm like, oh, I'm going to stream this, Gwen. And, you know, like, oh, she would probably say, oh, yes, absolutely. But would 18-year-old Gwen appreciate that? Like, I don't know. So it's just a it's a, it's a very interesting topic, I think. Yeah. Well, I think you're absolutely right. At the very least, you do have to have that conversation during the planning phase if you're setting up a, a video game uh, session. So, um yeah, very good words to follow by uh, Crofton. Yeah, I, that's all I've got for Crofton side of core. That was more of a Crofton, uh, you know, explains rant. Core. Yeah, Crofton rant. explains Crofton's rant of the week this time about core. I don't know, but one thing I do know is that Ryan, we are going to go into the dungeons, talk about some of the geeky stuff that we've been doing, playing, interested in, uh, and because I've been talking a lot about strikes and core and 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 all sorts of weird streaming and whatever it's time for you to talk about some of the stuff you know ryan it would be really just great if we had a segment that you could lead like something something with like a sound bumper or whatever that book watch 2023 was that perfect yeah yeah that's that that's that's perfect but that would involve you reading a book yeah, well, <laughs> look, this is probably uh, this whole this whole segment started as a hey, Crofton's reading a book. Crofton recommends the book. Ryan goes, you know, I could read a book. And Crofton's like, Ryan, you do so much. Uh, you start so much yet. you. I'd love to see you finish a book. And um, yeah, I did. I finished I finished those those two Thursday Murder Club books in, in quick succession. Uh, and then the third one was unavailable. So I've been going to the library a lot and doing the whole library thing. It's been really good, especially for the kids. Isabel loves to read new books all the time, but this isn't about my kids. This is about me and my reading. Uh, so, you know, I the third book, The Bullet That Missed, which is the third book in the Thursday Club Murder series, was not available. Uh, it was on hold. I think I was in queue. Like I was, uh, they had three copies and I was in queue like eight. I was an eighth in queue. So I was like, it's going to be a while. So I started reading, um, I asked for some suggestions. We talked about Mistborn last episode. Uh, I had to pass on um, 
Andy uh, Andrew Weir's uh, follow up book to The Martian. I had to I had to drop that one. It, it came up in queue, and I was like, oh, I'm still reading Mistborn. Not even halfway done. It's <laughs> it is so. It's a lot. It's a great book, but it's not as um, it's not as light and fluffy as Thursday Murder Club, even though that book very much deals with murder. Um, but it, there's just crafting, you know, there's something about it that's just it is just it's weird to describe it as comfort reading, but it's just so jovial and funny um and oh yeah it's um you know the the analogy that i always draw is to to only murders in the building right yeah. and to uh to knives out or whatever like there's murder in those things and it cozy cozy crime cozy murder is kind of kind of a thing and this slots in right into that that genre yeah. which i incidentally that whole all of those things that i mentioned i am into um and so uh this book series just is exactly one of those it's sort of like cozy but also murdery yeah and you know it is funny like getting these books from the library um it is it i kind of agree with you crofton that it is it is a series that i honestly wouldn't be opposed to owning and having on the shelf one day because they are such easy reads and just very fun reads and and honestly like i I almost wish I did own them because I'd love to lend them to uh, my dad who would love them as well. And I have recommended it to them, uh, uh, to my parents. And and I don't know if they'll go seek them out, but I think they would really dig it. Anyways, the third book came up in queue. I got the email. I was like, oh, that was fast. And I thought, well, how am I going to do this? Uh, there's, I'm not even close to finishing Mistborn. But I don't want to lose my spot in queue for this book because the fourth one's coming out in September it's been incredibly popular. Uh, there's there's a huge queue behind me as well. So if I were to leave the queue and rejoin, it would be probably summer before I got around to it. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to get to a good stopping point for Mistborn. So I, I think I finished up to part two. Again, it's a very good book. It's just there's a lot more going on in it. And uh, it's a little more heavy um, than the Thursday Murder Club stuff. So uh, I paused that one, picked up Thursday Murder Club, and I, I really haven't been able to put it down. I've had it since uh, the weekend, and I'm already like uh, like a hundred and so pages in. Like it's just, it is such the a third quick, book. Yeah, it's such a quick fun yeah. read. Um, What's the third book called? Uh, the Bullet That Missed. Oh right, yeah, that's that you've got that one. You're yeah. on it right now. How far are you into that? Because you had started reading after Mexico. No, no, no. I never started reading it. I, I've I've finished the two that I bought and I would have to buy that one or take it out from the library and I have not yet. Oh. Uh, so that's what's so funny is that you've like not only lapped me, but now like you're moving into like, like you, you'll finish this book before I start it and then you will finish Mistborn and like you're 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 putting your reading chair to some use, Ryan. Well, I got to say, like it, these, uh, we're going to talk about it in the diapers a little bit. I've kind of introduced, we've been trying to work with Caden on some stuff and we've introduced some after school uh, activities um, out of the house for just him to kind of give him some, some Caden time. But it's really put like a lot of, it's it's made my evenings very busy uh, and basically just running around a lot. And, and honestly, I've been feeling, I'm like tired by the end of the day. Once the kids are down, I'm I'm just exhausted and so tired. I I I'm not really even interested in playing. I'm too tired to play video games, even when I have a game that I'm thoroughly like looking forward to finishing right now with uh, the Horizon DLC. 
and and some other fun indie games as well on the Steam Deck. But um, it was nice Tuesday night. Like just I sat in the chair and Ashley had her book and she sat in the on the couch, you know, next to me. And just we read for like a good hour and a half until uh, until Ted Lasso was posted on Apple TV Plus. And it was like it was a really relaxing evening. Like I've like today I had a, a very busy day and I was saying, Ashley, I'm just so tired. And I took five, 10 minutes to sit in the chair and read a chapter. And the chapters are very short for the Thursday murder club books, which I love. They're so bite-sized. And I read like three pages and I'm like, I, I feel better already. Like just by, I like, I'm not as mentally exhausted and I just feel like I, I needed that like recharge, even if it is just like five, 10 minutes, it's been so good. Well, I really do appreciate the fact that A, I recommended this book mm-hmm. to you originally and that you enjoyed it. And B, you're the only person that I have recommended this book to who has actually read it. And so this <laughs> is the thing. Like I, I even bought the first book. The first the reason the first book was in my house, I bought it for my wife for her birthday. I thought she would really like it. She's really into reading electronically now. So she is just like never She's like, oh, it's a paper book. I I need to like, I bring it in the bath, I guess, or I what? She just has not read it, and and uh, you know, uh, it's got my mom written all over it, and I was telling my mom about it, and she's like, oh yeah, you know, she's not she's not read it. And I'm like, I I you know, I talk about it on my podcast. Maybe somebody has read it. If so, let us know. But uh, I did uh, I do appreciate that it's like, oh, Ryan read it, and he did it right away, and then he liked it, and 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 to be to be honest, that was a surprise to me when we were doing the book watch and. You're like, yeah, I finished it. Now I'm halfway through the second one. I'm like, holy smoke. So it is good. And Richard Osman is cranking these suckers out. He seems to have put out one a year for the past three years. Uh, Ryan, I'm assuming perhaps incorrectly, the quality of this one is probably similar to the quality of the first two books. Yeah, I would say um, it's closer. You know, it's definitely closer in sort of tone and feel to the second book. Right. I feel like, uh, and I feel like that comes back to the conversation we've had about uh, even Mistborn, in that the first book is really about setting up the universe, the characters, uh, and and how those characters interact with each other. And I feel like the third book is very similar to the second book, whereas they can skip a lot of that and even revisit. So, the, like the worry I had with the second book is like, are they going to drop some of these ancillary, secondary characters that are outside of the core Murder Club group? And in the second book, they don't, they don't drop those characters. They actually put focus on them. And and that's where like the short chapters, it's almost like he envisioned the author envisioned these short chapters as a way of like, okay, when I get to the second and third and maybe fourth book, I want to focus on so many different characters doing so many different things in, in, in the same story. Those shorter chapters really, really help with that. So, um, yeah, I'd say the third book's more closer in line to the second book, just in terms of like the structure of the mystery um, it, it feels very close to the second one. It's a little more complex, a little more fantastical, like the second one. Not that the first one was, you know, uh, uh, like a, like a straight shooter type thing. It was, it, it, it had twists and turns and, and had some fantasy elements to it as well. Like, it's definitely not like, you know, there's not some... fantasy, but like fantastical, right? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It, not was like it, was uh, it like a dragon no. jumped out of the wall? <laughs> Definitely you know, no like... dragons. Uh, but I, but yeah, it's fantastical in the sense of like, oh, the real world, this would never, 
work, you know, but. Right. I, it, definitely the first one is more grounded than the second one. So the third one continues the tone of the second one, which, you know, honestly, I think is where it was going to end up. Yeah. Anyway, for it to at least make somewhat sense that these retirees would keep solving crimes. Because again, <laughs> if this is the first of this podcast you listen to, we haven't really explained the book. I just say that it's about these murders happen at a retirement village in which they, these four retirees solve crime. So it has that feeling like only murders in the building with the, the, the older set that are like into true crime or into that. These, these four solve cold or like to solve cold cases on their free time. So like they they have their, their murder club. And when a real murder happens, things start getting interesting, but it's difficult to, to capture that lightning in a bottle over again and have like real murders keep happening at this retirement community. So they, you know, there is to, to Ryan's point about fantastical stuff. Like there has to be to make, to make it make any sense. Right. Yeah. And then I think the second and third book where, it, where it continues that fantastical stuff is that, you know, um, in the, in the first book, there is, there are murders that happen at the retirement facility or in and around the, the community. But in the second and third book, it is based off of a cold case. And like, it's kind of fantastical that they happen to pick a cold case in each book that leads into this adventure, this mystery adventure. And, you know, there are layers like the second book to, uh, uh, you know, layers that add complexity to the, to the mystery specifically around the Elizabeth character and, and her past, uh, as M as an MI five agent and such. So like, it's um it's really good and again it's bite size it's so it's about three hundred pages the chapters are very short I I, <laughs> I knew Ryan calls that bite size old Ryan was like it's three hundred pages oh my god if you see the tone uh, that is Mistborn and then realize yeah. there are eight other books in that series it's like you know we're way past uh, Harry Potter here like these are I think like Ashley laughed at me when I when I got Mistborn because she's like you're gonna read all that I'm like I'm going to try. Um, I'm going to try. Yeah. <laughs> luckily, yeah. the book is from 2008, so no one's clamoring for this one. And that was the other thing. When I went, I was checking out at the library, and I had reserved it, and the I, I had opted to to check out with the with one of the librarians, uh, the guy working at the desk. And um, he's like, "Oh, just so you know, this is a this is a, a highly sought after book, so you you have to return it for two weeks or in two weeks as opposed to the normal three. And I'm like, oh, so I have to read this in two weeks and like I can't renew it. Renew it, meaning if you if you can't if you can't finish it in time, you can kind of get a, you can get a, a, an extension. He's like, yeah, you can't renew books that have holds on them uh, when there's a queue in line. And I'm like, oh, man, that's the whole point of holds, Ryan. I know. It's but like now I have to finish it in two weeks, but I'm not worried because like I sat down like two evenings yeah, and, and cranked out a you're gonna book. you're gonna finish it but like let's just not put the next mistborn book on hold if you know what i'm saying no um what but speaking of things that are very very long um and uh i i uh am in this weird spot where uh, i guess i finished midnight suns and uh we talked about that last time and then zelda is coming soon and there is like some big games coming out right now, like uh, the Jedi uh, Fallen Order two, or uh, I forget what the name is specifically, but it Survivor just came, just came out. Good reviews. I'm sure I will love that game. Uh, do I have the time to play it right now? Uh, not really. Like maybe if I wasn't playing anything else. But what I remembered is the reason, and Ryan helped me with this. The reason I picked up 
Midnight Suns was because I was in the middle of God of War Ragnarok and just needed something different uh, and then got swept away by Midnight Suns, which again is a fantastic game. But I decided to go back to God of War uh, Ragnarok and see it through. And I am liking it much more this time. Uh, this this time, it, it is hilarious because I had felt kind of from the beginning that this game could have been released as two games. Like they could have had a God of War trilogy. Um, and I'm sort of making it a trilogy in a way that I played the first, you know, I want to say half of it, but it might not have even been half. And then I took I took that break and now I've gone back and I, I'm playing it again uh, and, and picking up where things left off and being like, oh, yeah, OK, I remember what's going on here. And uh, and there was a, a long time listeners may remember I was really struck by like there was a, a very slow two hour scene in the first half of the game uh, that, that really slowed things to a halt for, for me. Um, and there's none of that uh, later in the game and, and where, where I am now. And I'm looking at guides in the sense of just seeing how many chapters are left. Uh, so I know that I've got maybe like three chapters left um, and, uh, and things are, things are coming together. Um, and it's, it, it's good. Like it plays well. It's, it's really fun. Clearly a lot, a lot of love and, and care was put into the, the game. It's a lot of game. Um, and I mean, it, it it's also, uh, the story, uh, meanders in, in many ways, whereas the first one is a very specific journey. Um, this one is, is like, you never, you know, there is a flow to it in a hub area and all of this, but it, it, it changes a lot. There's a lot of, there's a lot more characters, um, a lot more things. There's more pairings. It's not just Atreus and Kratos. Like in the first game, uh, both characters get paired with other characters, which changes, you know, the dynamic throughout uh, constantly fluctuating dynamic um and uh and yeah it's uh it's really really good though like it's a really really good game to the point that like you know i i i rethink about that those elden ring versus god of war ragnarok uh, conversations from last year which is the game of the year and i see how that it's so funny because like one god of war ragnarok is like the perfect representation of the type of game that it is like that that polished um, you know, action adventure game in the the, the large world where, with lots of secrets and puzzles, but also fantastic combat system and all of this. Elden Ring, that the sort of more like eld, um, open world, Breath of the Wild esque exploration, um, you know, gameplay focused game, and uh, it, it is really funny because they are both absolutely excellent games. They both deal with like hitting things with swords and blades. But they they couldn't be more different in sort of tone and the way that they're put together. And I will say that I am now at a point where I'm really interested in the story. Like I'm really interested in seeing how it's going to wrap up. It deals with prophecy, and so like you know you have some spoilers, if you will, in the sense of will they will they beat prophecy or will will, will you know or will prophecy unfold the way it's foretold? And if so, you know is that what it seems? All of this sort of stuff. So I'm very curious to see where that's going to lead. And it is a kitchen sink game. They've they have everything from the first game, and they've just thrown in new weapons, new skills, new assist abilities, new this, new that. There's too much, way too much. Should be pared back a bunch. But it's at the point where I'm like, 
comfortable with a lot of it. There's some stuff like gear that I just don't even really screw with. I just try to have better gear every so often, but mostly I'm just like, I'm, I'm, I'm good, good at the game. I enjoy playing the game. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a good one. And in a very sort of traditional video gamey way, uh, I would absolutely recommend it for me. Like when I see Je the new Jedi, uh, fallen order game come out, Jedi survivor, I, I, I look at it and I'm like, that looks a lot like God of War Ragnarok. And I'm like, I wouldn't want to go from God of War Ragnarok to that game or from, for, from God of War Ragnarok to Horizon because they're just too similar in the way that they're they're constructed. I, I, I feel like I need a palette cleanser afterwards. But I think I'm going to remember this game fondly uh, and it's pretty, pretty damn cool. So you already know that though, Ryan, you were a big fan of it. Yeah, no, I, I loved uh, Ragnarok. I thought it was a really solid follow-up to one of my favorite PlayStation 4 games. And I know um, there was some criticism for it, and I think that, uh, not for my opinion, but just for the game, in the sense there was some meandering sections. And for me, um, look, I'll admit, like, it was a bit, like, the segment that everybody points to is the, is the middle chunk where you're, I mean, I think it's been long enough where you're controlling Atreus and you're sort of getting a good, a good extended, I wouldn't even call it a lore dump. It's more just like, it's a slower period of, of the game. Um, and I know that can be jarring, but, but honestly, like, I, I'm in, I try not, to, I try not to rush through games. I, I, sometimes I will, I, I will to kind of, you know, meet a deadline for gamers in or something, but I really felt with Ragnarok, there are certain games that I get where I'm like, look, I don't really care how long it's going to take me to finish this. I'm just going to enjoy every moment of it. Cause we get these games every, well, in this instance, it was every, every four years or every four and a half years. So I'm like, I'm going to really enjoy it. And if there's a slow period, I love all these characters. I, I, I like where the story's going. I'm cool with this like hour, hour and a half segment where we're just things have slowed down a little bit because you know what? There are so few moments in that game and you're right. God of War, very tight experience, very quick. And it's 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 well paced. And I get Ragnarok has. Some not what, oh, sorry. Oh, the last game. Yeah. Oh, OK. Sorry. I was like, well, paced. no, it's not. I'm like, oh, you mean the last game? It's just yeah. that it's not it's not a it's not running at a breakneck speed. God of War was it, it does not have very have very many slow periods but I think like Ragnarok they they took a chance and like okay we're going to tell traditionally we would tell the story in three games but we don't want to take 15 years to tell a story and that's like you know that's a long time to you and I it's only been 5 years but to the developers it's been 10 years of of working on this series and and oh, I get it. I look. I like. I really like God of War, but remember Ragnarok. But remembering that scene and remembering all that stuff, it's just like it, I re I realize what a mistake that was. Just because I think about like I get what you're saying. Oh, it's really fun. You know, take smell the roses. I'm like, even in an action game, you got to stop and slow down. And it's two hours. I timed it. It's not an you hour or an See, hour. See, like that just and, feels an hour, like petty, don't you think? <laughs> an, an hour and a half. No, it's it's not it's not petty because I started timing it when I was getting really bored, and so <laughs> so you, I, you know, so you waited until you were bored to time it. So it really was like a two and a half hour segment. No, no, I I'm. 
I'm assuming it took 20 minutes before I was bored and then I started timing. So I, I'm making an assumption on the, the – because I was also like – I had heard on a podcast that this, this this sequence existed. So I'm like, oh, this is the sequence. Let's see how long it is. And then I timed it. And I had heard them complain about it as well. What I would just say is that like first time through, as you say, it's not that bad. But it is going to absolutely – like I'm, I really enjoy the actual gameplay of this game. Um, and when you're playing different characters, you're playing it a different way. And there's, you know, open world segments where you go to different things. And for that period, you're taken out of all of that. So it absolutely destroys replayability. Like you have to be willing to spend another of your, you know, and for me, it's like the nights that I'm not doing bedtime or whatever. Two hours is like my video game time. I have to do, I, I have to give that up to just get back to where it was, you know, the game part because it's kind of a walking simulator for that part there is some interactivity and there are some combat bits but it, it's it's mostly not so anyway i i just think that it was it was uh, a little bit of a, a poor design choice they could have even taken that segment and somehow broken it into different pieces and done it there. maybe even if it did jump back to to the kratos and then come back or if, if atreus had gone back and then gone back a second time and met this this person again and continued i just didn't think that was great but i don't want to bog down on that too much just because the game itself is so good and um that was the before times uh and now i'm back to the after times and there's so much after that segment and so much uh that's going on with um all these characters and their motivations and and there's still there's mystery a uh, mystery now i'm trying to kind of get a sense of there's the prophecy stuff so the hooks are in on the story mode and meanwhile the gameplay is super fun as well so i'm just like really enjoying and you know they they will very nicely signpost they'll say okay you can go to this next place and that will further the story mission but you know it would be good to to maybe check some stuff off the list and honestly i really appreciate narrative games that do that because there's sometimes like story heavy games that are just like like they feel like they're moving at a breakneck speed but yet there, there's nothing that stops you at any given time from stopping and doing side quests and doing other stuff. Like it's not like there's a timer ticking, but yet you're trying to save the world in those games and you feel like this driving. No, no, I need to continue. Like I can't stop and help this guy fix his cart when I need to like save time and space, you know, like I've got to, got to do that. Whereas what God of War Ragnarok with Ragnarok in the name and like you're heading to this, there's, they do a really good job of being like, you know, we can go to this next part, like, and, and it's important or whatever, but like we, you know, it might be good to blow off some steam and like explore around here a little bit or to, to whatever, whatever. And I love that because not only does it signpost that, okay, like you're in side quest territory if you want to do it, but it also makes you as a gamer feel less bad about doing that, you know, like less bad about taking a moment and doing all this stuff. And for me, at least mentally, that really helps me want to do it. Yeah. I think Resident Evil 4, the remake did that really well. Um, Especially since it it didn't come down to like a uh, like a hey don't feel bad about going and wandering around for a bit. It was more about hey this is old school design. It's not open world. These are closed environments. So if you progress further, you're you're you can't go back. But I really appreciate that as you said mission marker of like hey you know if we want to go explore now would be a great time because we're waiting for such and such or you know we have time between 
you know, these, these events that are, that are, you know, scheduled to take place. So I, I appreciate that. Um, and I, and I even see it. And I think PlayStation has done a really good job of their sort of audio, you know, checkpointing and storytelling, um, playing through Horizon Forbidden West, their new expansion DLC, uh, post-game DLC, which is my favorite kind of DLC, uh, Burning Shores. There are a lot of these, you know, Aloy is famous for talking to like a lot. Like she will, <laughs> even to the point where characters will comment of like, oh, you're you're talking to yourself again, you know? And I think that was one of the criticisms laid at the second game is that they've they've given Aloy a lot to say about what she's, she's doing to the point where if you get stuck on a puzzle, she will like, I wonder if I do this, this, and this, will I solve it? And it's like, yeah, yeah. You just, you just gave me the the solution, but there are a lot of those moments in the, in horizon forbidden West burning shores where the, the characters interacting and, and discussing things will let you know, as the player, like, Oh, if you know, now's my chance to go do X, Y, and Z, before I progress further into the story and get locked out of, of returning to other areas for a little bit, you know? Well, there you're right. There's been a lot of criticism about these puzzle solving things about the characters that are like this and that or whatever, and chiming in too quick. And now all games will probably have a toggle to turn that off or whatever. But I will say that like, you know, the puzzles in God of war are like, just like, take a breath puzzle, like try to figure it out a little bit. They're not like rocket science. And honestly, if you were with another person, they would be like, Oh, maybe we could do this or that. Like, it feels like it didn't bother me to the extent that it, it, it bothered other people though. I do feel like I'm on a timer to get through this game. Like I'd like to get through it. I'd like to play the extra content. I'd like to really feel like I got my fill of the game before uh, Zelda is in my hot, hot hands, you know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Zelda's like what? 2 weeks? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, wow. it's it, it it's 2 weeks. So I'm just like for me it's got to War Ragnarok then it will be Zelda. And you know, that's as good as saying is any I don't know uh, if I'm alone in this Ryan, but I have been as the like, you know, it's been a mystery this Breath of the Wild 2 game. Like they've not shown much uh throughout its development cycle up until recently where they've had some trailers and the, and then they had that whole demo uh by the by uh, the the game's executive producer and now they have um some hands-on with the game's media and that's coming out like today people are talking about it and every time i hear more about this game i get a little bit less excited and I know that for some people, I think they're getting a little bit more excited. And I think it really divides into two types of people because like, you know, I would talk on the show about how I played Valheim with Bo and Mike and we would have our like village and stuff like that. We would all have our jobs and Mike liked to build stuff and I like to go out on adventure. And I would go out and I would, you know, hunt or bring back stuff from, you know, push things forward. And Bo would dabble in both. But it feels like the the Tears of the Kingdom really feels like it, it caters to the building person. Like, uh, and while I'm sure that there will be adventure and, and stuff to do, like the idea, it almost looks like it wants to be a like an incredible machine type game, like where you where you tinker with these things, you put these things together, and there's all sorts of craziness that that um 
results from that. And I have to just say that I don't find that very interesting. In fact, I much would prefer a handcrafted world with like puzzles that there's kind of like only one way to solve or whatever, and that you've solved the puzzle. Um, not that you're going to hack it out or, or, or do something different with it. So I guess my enthusiasm is damper. Do I trust Nintendo? Yes. Will will I do I expect there's so much more to this game than what they showed us? Yes. Do I think that the crafting and stuff is the core of what it is? I do. I think they wouldn't have led with it if that wasn't the case. Um, and that makes me a little bit like for me, and I'm not saying like for other people, they're probably more into I, I listened to a podcast where all three of them were just gushing about it, and they're clearly the people that like crafting and video games. I just happen to not, I just want to sort in, I don't want to stick a mushroom to my shield or a rock to my thing and look goofy, walk around, look like a giant goof. Um, I, I want it to feel like I'm on an, a traditional adventure with a sword and a shield fighting monsters and stuff like that in the way that Breath of the Wild kind of felt. So it just feels like it, it it's, to me, some of the crafting turns Breath of the Wild into a little bit of a joke. Like, um, you know, like I'm sure there'll be all sorts of memes and, and, and videos of people looking friggin' ridiculous. Like when they put a pitchfork on another pitchfork. Oh, look, it's a oh, super long thing. Double pitchfork. And it looks, yeah, I know. And I'm just like, oh man, that looks like, but on the other hand, I watched that demo uh, of the three powers with my daughter, Gwen, and she was just salivating. She's like, oh, we'll be able to experiment. I could do this and that. And I was like, oh, through the eyes of a child. that's so like, she loves it. She's just so excited about all the things when she saw him building the boat. She's like, oh, you got to put the fan on it. You know, she's talking and talking him through it. And I was just like, oh, wow, this is going to be great for her. It's just, I guess, like, I'm a little sad for me. It takes so long to make these Zelda games. Like, when's the next time that a Zelda is going to come out that's more sort of to my style? And, and you know, I'm, just, I, I'm hopeful that I'm proven wrong, that I'll start playing. And I'm like, no, this is really like all the things I loved about Breath of the Wild, plus these other things, you know. And it very well may be. I just have – I'm at a point now where every time they show me something else, I'm a little like, oh, I don't know about that. I, uh, you know, mm-hmm. how do you feel? Uh, I'm, I'm excited for more Zelda story. And I, and I think for me, I trust Nintendo to put the tools in the game. I think breath of the wild. So outside of a couple mechanics in breath of the wild, specifically the weapon breaking that a lot of people latched onto and for good reason, I totally get it. Um, but I didn't find that the components in the game ruined the fun and ruined the discovery and ruined the story for me. Like I really enjoyed it as a Zelda game. It was missing some traditional Zelda stuff, but it had a lot of other fun to it. I didn't feel like I had to really, you know, get into the quirkiness of like the sandbox of, of breath of the wild. And it feels like they're, they, yes, in the, in the marketing and very much in the design, they're leaning into that quirkiness, building more of a sandbox, introducing crafting, that sort of thing, fusing, what have you. Um, I trust Nintendo not to force, you know, all players to really like super engage with those systems. I think those systems are there and you'll have the freedom to explore and experiment with them, but you're not going to have to dive super deep to complete the game. It's not like, okay, you have to be able to design a wacky machine here in order to to defeat Ganon. I think there is going to be a lot of traditional Zelda stuff. And I think they are leading with the um, 
the 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 crafting because a it's the most unique thing about it i think it is very much a sequel to breath of the wild i i think like you know zelda doesn't do or nintendo doesn't do sequels to zelda games and when they do they always try to set them apart looking at majora's mask and ocarina of time very much a sequel but had like a very different mechanic that set it apart you know and they leaned into that they leaned into the three-day system for majora's mask so i'm i'm with you like i'm not like super keen on the fusing and crafting i think it's cool that it's in there and i will engage with those systems as needed but i'm not going in and being like man i can't wait to design like a fan rocket you know pitchfork gun you know like oh man i can't i can't wait to see if i can i'm just gonna i'm just gonna play the game and build some stuff that's needed and you know i'll experiment here and there with stuff i i saw there was a clip the guy attached a fan to a shield and he was able to like blow some of the enemies off of buildings while fighting them like i thought like that was that was a really interesting moment and it's that creativity in the moment that leads to those those oh man this happened type thing you know just like medieval soldiers did in the olden days. They <laughs> yeah, had they giant fans giant on their arms. They blew it. Look, I'm not I'm not saying I like I want realism from Zelda per se. It's just like it sounds like they've leaned into the wacky here. And uh that's you know, uh like like I recognize like that fairy, remember the fairy that would upgrade your gear? It was all it's all ridiculous, like it's all over the top, and like this is not so far removed from that. It's just like I worry, like I worry about some of this stuff and um, we'll, we'll see, we'll see how it goes. Uh, I, I just, you know, I, I think there's probably other folks like me when it feels like when the, um, when the suicide squad trailer came or it came out, everybody was slamming on it and people felt comfortable not having played the game, but just seeing this thing being like, this game's going to blow. And now when all the Zelda stuff's come out, everybody's so excited and I feel like kind of an outlier that I'm not. And I realize it's because the type of gamer I am is one that, you know, does not want to stick a mushroom to his shield and or a giant fan or have a giant pitchfork or shoot himself in a rocket so he can skip a whole dungeon or whatever. Like I, I just I just want to to go along with the adventure to a certain extent and um I'm, i worry but we will see it we, we won't have to wait too much longer and it'll be the next one for me after god of a war ragnarok is done so um yeah uh ryan did you have anything more for the dungeons or did you want to head into the diapers i am ready to talk diapers all right well I will not leave anybody on tender hooks any longer. I am a national celebrity in Canada. Uh, as anyone who is at, on the national newscast for 10 seconds, oh. 10 full seconds. No, would be, Crofton, I've got the counter here. It's 20 seconds. Well, like it's, it's 20 seconds. Like, but I wasn't on the screen for 20 seconds. I don't yeah, but they think. say your full name. I, I, I think I can give you the 10 extra seconds. All right, tell you what, Ryan, you play the clip and then I will provide the behind the scenes. Okay. All right, here's the clip. My grocery bill goes up. I have the 2019 amount of money to pay for it. That's what Crofton Steers has worked for the federal government since 2005. This is his first strike. With a young family to raise, he's feeling stretched. We're not looking for a big increase in, in salary. We're just looking to keep pace. 
Was that 20 seconds? It's 20 seconds. I know it doesn't feel like 20 seconds because we played the 60 seconds of another podcast at the start of the show. But I feel like um, this is, uh, I I need to, I want to isolate, I should isolate this for future episodes here. This is his first strike. (laughs) (laughs) I just, look, first and foremost, I'm not making fun of the narrator. I I think CBC, uh, whoever was doing the news narration, I love her voice on all of all of her uh, casts. They're great, um, but it's such an iconic voice. But uh, yeah, it, it, it when you listen to it in con or outside of the context, it sounds like she's talking about you <laughs> getting in trouble. I don't know why that just hit me funny, but uh, I shouldn't laugh. This is serious. No, 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 no. It, it's uh, who was it? My brother also made a joke about like that. His first strike. Oh, how cute. Um, you know, he was. Uh, but but yeah. So. What is this and how did it come about? Um, if for any listeners that follows me on Twitter recently, they would not be surprised to know I am not tweeting about anything except labor strife, uh, which is probably annoying and I apologize. <laughs> but uh, I will say there's a lot of people that have an appetite for it. And I put um, I put out a couple of three uh, tweet threads that got some traction on the Twitter. It turns out people still use Twitter blue checkmark or not. Um, and uh, CBC reporter, CBC's our national, uh, uh, our national, um, I guess, uh, newscast or our or, or main channel. Uh, their national newscast is called the um, is called uh, the National <laughs> of all things, and uh, and they were doing they're doing a lot of stories on on the strike, and they wanted one of sort of our rank and file person, and I was they liked the way that I was explaining things, and so they reached out to me, and I thought it was going to be like oh uh, on the picket line type thing, but no, they wanted to come to my house and like film me playing with the girls and like just other things. Luca Crofton, he's a regular dude, and so it was it was interesting. I had to talk obviously to my wife, get her approval. She's like, and and they wanted to move fast and our house was not a mess, but you know, my wife and I have different levels of cleanliness. She was like, Oh my God, we need to clean up in here. She didn't want to be on camera. Then it was like, could the girls be on camera? They obviously wanted to be on camera, but they're kids. So they can't make really that, that judgment. And so then, uh, then the videographer came over and it's just super funny, Ryan, because like, you know, my exposure to journalists and a lot of this are from movies, you know, where the the the, the pushy journalist is there with the with the the videographer behind them holding a camera and they're holding a mic out saying, like, do you have any comments about this? Um and uh, so they are the extroverted person while the, the videographer is often the introverted person. What is funny is in this new world we live in, the videographers often have to go by themselves. Um, and so like this poor guy, like from CBC was so introverted, like, like we're not like he was just, you know, Hey, I'm here to, to film you and all this. And so he's got to set up his, 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 he puts up a light, like a big light and a big camera. And, and like, you know, in my living room, and is getting ready to film me. And then he takes his phone and he tapes it to the, the pole that the light is on. And then he FaceTimes the journalist who is in Toronto, which is five hours away. And she's just like on this little phone from her studio asking me the questions. And then he films me in my house, right? And then they use that for the hmm. for the newscast. So it is just very interesting. And meanwhile, Gwen, who wanted to watch the whole thing, obviously, was on a chair or on the couch behind 
the FaceTime phone, making goofy faces to try to distract me the whole time. Um, so, oh, so I wonder who her then, father is, honestly, when you when you really think about yeah, it. Yeah, and then after that, we did we like there's B roll shots. Can we get a shot of you working at the computer? Can we get a shot of you playing with your daughters? You know, and all of that sort of stuff, right? So he did. Can I take some photos uh, for the the web? We might use some of this on radio. It might be blah 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 blah. So there was a lot of that, and they did a written article with a nicer photo of me i come out like i'm all fat faced on on tv camera ads like 35 pounds or whatever but uh but the photo looks good i was like oh on the when i was on the website of the cbc and i have all the sorts of relatives and people be like i saw you on the news uh which is <laughs> which is really really fun and it's just like it's an experience right i yeah. i'm supportive of the strike i feel like i did a good job in terms of like that one soundbite they used and what they put in the pay they put in the thing the the footage with the girls was good so in the end i think that i helped the strike effort by by doing this uh and you know like there it is always a little bit nerve-wracking not just be, being out there but you know i work my boss my bosses are on the other side of this right like they're on the other side so any anything i do you know, once this gets settled, like I'm assuming that a lot of them are in my corner, but they can't say that they are because um, in the end, it's up to the political side to make a deal. But, you know, it is one of those things where you're like, I'm putting myself out there in a kind of a vulnerable position in the in the hopes of moving the ball forward for the striking workers. But, yeah, the whole <clears throat> being on the news um the national news too. I, I I'm also uh, like my um, my fellow colleagues sometimes get interviewed at the picket line. Like, and this guy was like, "Man, I'm going to be on Ottawa News tomorrow night. They're going to use a clip." I'm like, "Oh, the local news? That's nice. Call me when you're on the national news." Uh, you know, like I, I'm uh, I'm now I'm now a news uh, snob, if you will. Like I'm like you know Ryan. I'm on the core podcast and the national news. I'm like an international celebrity at this point, And it hasn't gone to my head at all. No, definitely not. I would not, uh, I would not ever expect that to happen. Um, I, I have a couple questions more out of curiosity and, um, like in terms of like being on. So when you were asked to be on the national news, they, they discover you just through like your, cause I know you had a lot of Twitter threads that you said it were kind of, you know, and I've read, I read them all. They were very well done. Um, did they, did they kind of pick up on you on those or, uh, or was it actually from the picket line? No, it was from, from the Twitter. It was absolutely from the Twitter threads that cool. they, uh, that they, so yeah, it is like, it is one of those things where it, it's, it makes me worried sometimes because like when is eight, it's still a ways where I'm still in that blissful world of no social media. But now she knows that social media got me on the national news. You know what I mean? She knows because she's heard me explain it. She's like, so you were like, she wanted to know exactly. I was like, well, you know, I wrote these things and they got, you know, the reporter reached out to me. And so she sees the cause and effect there. And it does make me worried about social media in the future. Like, uh, like her being like, well, I'd like to be on this. Like it, it clearly has benefit, you know? And uh, so anyway, that's the thing that I don't like. Cause clearly the only reason this story happened was because of my use of social media. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. And did you have to like clear 
being on the interview, like with your union rep or how did that work? It's funny. My, my mom, bless her, uh, asked me, Oh, I do need to check with your boss beforehand. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, mom, I'm on strike. I'm like, I have no the, boss. Whole, the whole point is that I'm like not working right now. <laughs> I'm like, I'm saying you need to pay me more money for me to work. And so, um, so, uh, but she's like, well, the union people then. And I'm like, look, I am a member of the union. I can do whatever I want in that regard. Like, I don't need to check uh, with them. If the union vetted all comments or whatever, then that would be like, um, what is it? The What's the opposite of, you know, like an auto autocratic union, like a dictatorship almost. Yeah, you know? I'm, I'm sure just more curious. I, no, but no, no, no. It's a really good question. I think don't, don't feel bad about it. I, I would just say like, uh, if I was uncomfortable, let's say I had this opportunity and I was not a big loud mouth that had his own podcast, right? Let, let's say I was like, Oh, I don't know. I don't know about this, but I recognize that it would be good for the union for the, the strike effort. Well, I could absolutely reach out to the union and be like, can you help me prep for this? Right. And they would, I'm sure they would love, so they'd be like, that's an opportunity, you know, let's, let's help this guy. Um, but luckily for everyone, I am a loud mouth that never met a camera. He didn't like, except the one that adds 15 pounds or whatever. Um, and so I was, I was more than, more than happy, uh, happy to do it. Right. So, but yeah, I didn't, did not have to check with anyone, but I will tell you, Ryan, it felt so weird because I am, I work in communications. I'm used to having to check with everyone yeah. about stuff like this. So to be in a world where I don't have to check feels so weird. You broke, you broke my rule. Uh, when it comes to work is like, never, uh, never be the cause of a, a of a headline. Uh, in the news so but i think this was uh for a good cause so i think you did you did very good all your twitter threads are really good uh and Ooh. um your your interview was fantastic and the article was really good so uh yeah you're much braver than i i don't think i would have been able to <laughs> i don't think i'd be able to do it like I, I you know i would i would definitely be doing the you know the strike line and all that stuff but i'm not sure i could do an interview even though i i do a podcast no, I know it, it is. It absolutely it it comes from a place of comfort and insecurity in my position and all of that as well. And and you know not everybody not everybody feels that. But I I know from a lot of the people I'm striking with they they you know treating me like a conquering hero. For me, it's not hard, but the, for them it would be hard. So I'm I I absolutely appreciate that there's a benefit in it in. in in doing it, um, but I was never worried about it. You know, I was never, I, I'm never, uh, but I, I say never, but like I had said five minutes ago that I did think about, I did think about it a lot. I was sort of trying to prep my key messages, but they kept changing the story a little bit. They're like, oh, the new angle is going to be X or Y. And if it hadn't been CBC, our our local broadcast, our national broadcaster, I wouldn't have done it because the reality is that like, and to our American listener, I would say, we have like who, who's used to the binaries of news media being really biased. Like one is liberal or one is conservative. And like you do, they're going to play gotcha with your quotes and all of this, you know, CBC is pretty, pretty down the middle, but more leans towards my, my point of view generally. And I talked with the reporter about what the angle would be beforehand. And she was very, 
you know, like she's like, this is what it was going to be. Are you comfortable with this? And, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not like a, a figure, like a prime minister or whatever. I'm just like somebody that they're using to humanize the strike. So if I'm not comfortable, then she's not maybe doing her job. And so she, she did a great job of making me comfortable. And I didn't get to vet the story. Like I was like, Oh God, what quote are they going to use? Oh, cause I did a 40 minute interview, right? Like, and they used 10 seconds of it. So. 20 seconds if you're Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah. So hopefully the, the strike continues to, hopefully it goes well. I mean, I know there was like progress. I've been kind of following it and I know there was progress in the first couple of days, but it seems like there's been a bit of a, bit of a, I don't want to say stalemate, but a bit of a pause in progress. So hopefully, hopefully things go well. Uh, although, and Hey, here's the local news right now. I'm just looking at CBC. The, the local news right now is, striking federal public service workers fined for barbecue in front of the prime minister's office so oh yeah, yeah. so they don't they don't ever find the riff the truckers from truckageddon or whatever that had to be <laughs> truck again. They, they, they had to have the emergency act and to to get them out but yeah oh yeah striking workers they have a barbecue let's find them thank you yeah very much but what, um, what's the public like i again i haven't really been um keeping up i've been keeping up on the union side of it and the strike side of right. it but what's the public's sort of perception of this I, I think it's still pretty like i'm sure if i were to ask my father-in-law about it he would he would have a not so flattering opinion but uh uh but i wonder if like are the public kind of understanding of what's going on here so um uh, surveys say that they are um and, and and are on the union side uh which is extremely unusual in labor disputes where for some reason um people who want to turn on each other right away let's get let the rich get richer forget about the workers like if i'm not one of the workers then i'm going to be pissed about it sort of deal that said there's some people that have very very strong opinions about this all across Canada about workers in general, but government workers in particular, because we're paid with the public purse, the taxpayer dollars, right? Their dollars. So, I mean, any increase to our salary in any way is uh, is problematic. And I would just say for listeners who are not aware, this is the main sticking point on the salaries. So my contract, my work contract for 100,000 employees and plus, including me, has been expired for two years. So they need that means my pay, I'm being paid the same amount as I was, you know, two years ago. And so we're looking for a, a new contract, a new sort of three-year contract. And that contract would be for two years that already happened and one that will happen. And so how much will our pay go up each of those years, like for cost of living? That's what's being discussed. And so what's being offered to us is, is 3% for every year for a total of 9% overall. The thing is, is the past two years, we know how much inflation has gone up. And it's gone up a lot. The And so last year in particular, it was a historic year for inflation, food prices, all of this sort of stuff. So they're saying, well, we'll increase your wages by 3% last year. But it was an inflationary rate of like, I forget, 8 to 10%, like crazy. So in the end, we would be getting less money than inflation, the cost of living. So what that means is overall, our buying power is less. It's sort of like a pay cut, right? Mm -hmm. It's sort of like a pay cut because they're like, we're not giving you more money to keep your pay at par to what it was, as in the world is, has got 
more money. Now, the thing is, you can have strong opinions about this. Well, like, oh, Crofton, I would like to see your pay get cut. I would like to see other people's pay get cut. I think public servants are already paid too much. You know, you could have that opinion. And that's like, that's fine. That's a values thing. People, people but for me, I obviously don't, you know, I'm feeling the pinch of, of having, having less money as everybody is. And uh, I'm on the top end of these worker salaries. Some of them are so poor that are like on the lower end have to go to food banks and stuff. So, I mean, for them, this, this percentage is a big deal. Uh, and so figuring it out is, 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 is really, really important. What we're really asking for is for it to match the cost of inflation for the past two years that we know of, you know, um, and not, uh, and not just be like beneath, beneath that, because then it means that inflation went up, our salaries didn't. So we have less money, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's really, that's the, that's the thing. So I think the public understand that story to your, to your, like, do we have support? They understand that story. A lot of them do. And their services haven't been overly compromised yet, but as they start getting more and more compromised, gets longer to get a passport or get other things because employees are on strike or employees are blocking roads or different things, you know, that could turn very easily. And the people that are adamantly against you know, workers or unions or whatever are going to still be adamantly against workers and unions, right? And you're going to, but why, as I mentioned at the beginning, this is the biggest labor action in Canadian history, and it will be the bellwether for all uh, future public service unions and workers unions across the country. There's lots of big private sector unions that are watching this as well. You know, if we if we get clarification on remote work in our contract, that's something that can be used in other negotiations. We realize that we have kind of a, a weird responsibility in this regard as well, e even if not everybody kind of gets that part of it because it is kind of a complicated story. So I am hopeful that it will we'll, we'll settle all that stuff up by the next time we do this podcast. But for me, it's very interesting. Like it's all learning experience, never been on a strike, never been on the national news, never, never like, you know, had to learn all this stuff. I'm not great with money at the best of times, but like figuring out all this stuff about like how bad I'm getting hosed. Like I, I'm like, oh, okay, I, you know, I get it and stuff, but we have to kind of earn the public support. And that's challenging because there's a lot of folks that, that will just never, Never, never want to support us. And uh, I, you know, I don't ever agree with them, but I, I kind of get where they're coming from because they see themselves as paying for our salaries. Right. Yeah. Well, here's the thing I've, I've, I like a lot of folks have noticed um, everything is, is increasing in price. Like, you know, your cell phone bills going up, your grocery bills are going up. Uh, your, 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 your different services, heat, hydro, internet, stuff that you rely on to do your job, do your work and to keep entertained. I think, you know, there was a recent news article. I think the deputy, uh, prime minister had said, oh, you know, it's time to, you know, cut Disney plus. And I'm like, yeah, a lot of people thought that was like, not the right move, you know, like, uh, entertainment is, is, is while not, you know, more important than food and, and gas it's still it's still critical for for you know i, I think i think it's, it's important to be to be entertained uh you know we're not as expensive as disney plus here but um it, you know you you pick your marvel star wars uh disney pixar or ryan and crofton talk about video games um but the other the other side of it too was uh you know the conversation of like look like if 
if the union settles with, you know, whoever they're negotiating with, Treasury Board, CRA, what what have you, the federal government, um, employers, the folks who are working and saying, well, the public servants shouldn't be paid that much, shouldn't get that raise for inflation, what makes them think their employer, who they're also paying for higher price groceries, they're also paying for higher price services that they require to do their job to live their lives, what makes them think their employers, well, if the federal government's not going to match inflation, why should we? Oh, absolutely. The line is, you know, everybody loves their catchy slogans and lines. One of the lines is, what is it? If we get it, you might get it. If we don't get it, if we don't get it, you will never get it. Yeah, you know okay. what I mean? Like, so, so that is, and that is kind of the rationale. Like if we don't, if the biggest union and the biggest labor movement in the country is not able to have remote work clarity added to their collective agreement, then I'm sorry, smaller union or whatever, you have no chance. Right. So, so I mean, that's what I mean. It's like, yeah. if, but just cause we get it doesn't necessarily mean you would, you would get it, but there would at least be a precedent set, right? So there's a lot of like a lot of provincial governments are looking at it, a lot of a lot of other folks. But yeah, you're right, Ryan. Like, and this is this is the 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 race to the bottom thing. And it, I get really I get really frustrated with because you get a lot of people, the people that are anti will often say something like will say, Well, I don't get paid as much as you and prices are going up and and, and like why should you get more more money and not me, you know, or I don't have that benefit and look at you, you have that benefit. You want more benefits. Forget, you know, like, forget that. I don't have that. Um, And it's sort of like, and that argument was very frustrating because a get a union, get together, use, use your, your power of bargaining and, and make things happen. And, and, um, and it's not a race to the bottom. It's a race to this shop. What, you know, what is it, the ships? Um, what is that expression with the ships raise all boats? Uh, you know, like the high rising ship tides raise, raise all boats. Yes, thank you. I tried to use that on the national, and I couldn't remember it either. And they were <laughs> like, "Do you want to do another take?" I'm like, "No, I'm not going to remember it next time either." Um, but uh, but yeah, rising tide uh, raises all boats. Uh, and and so like yeah, it, but but all you see like I the hate comments I get on Twitter are all about like. Um, you know, you guys are just greedy because I don't make as much as you, right? And, or, you know, I don't make, you know, I'm working a minimum wage job and things are expensive for me. Why should I pay more for your salaries? As if their tax dollars is, you know, they're like, as if they're the ones making the decisions to pay more for my salary. That's, that's, controlled by the Canadian government and not to confuse things further, but like the, the Canadian government just made a big announcement this week, giving, I think it was uh 7 billion or something in subsidies to a Volkswagen plant uh, for electric batteries, like 7 billion with a B. And, um, and it's just crazy. Uh, meanwhile, we don't, uh, you know, they don't pay their workers um, the, the, to match inflation. So, uh, you know, it, you can obviously see I'm providing a very biased view of, of the thing. I'm right in the thick of it, but um, I, I really do think it's interesting either way. Like for me, it's been really, really interesting. Um, and uh, I've learned, I've learned a lot and this is going to be a career thing, you know, uh, 
um, I, I'll be able to look back on my career and say, oh, you know, I was I was marching with my colleagues and my friends and we were we were trying to to, to do good for ourselves, but also for for all Canadian workers and feel feel good about it. So. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, very interesting stuff, Ryan. Very good. Well, um, while I'm not on strike just yet, I, I don't think we'll let just it, yet just yet. I don't want to. I don't want to let necessarily put it out there, but I, I would like. I would assume that if uh, hopefully you guys are able to reach a deal, and you know I'm part of the same uh, union, although we're not in a strike uh, position yet. Um, I assume like what, and I think all bargaining is kind of on pause while the focus is on the currently strike striking actions uh, and trying to get those negotiations sorted, but bargaining. Or negotiations, or what, whatever word you need to use uh, for other uh, folks that are outside of a strike action. I think those have been put on pause, but you know, we'll see. We'll see. It really depends on how yours goes. So I hope it goes well. Hopefully, you guys are able to sort out a deal sooner rather than later. We'll keep up on the news, and we'll certainly get Crofton's uh, longer than twenty second take on the podcast. Future episodes. Uh, Look here. Strike uh, Watch 2023. No, no, no. We, we got to get a clean take. Okay, go again. Strike Watch 2023. Perfect. Much better. All right. I'll isolate that. We'll get a bumper going. Uh, okay. Well, here here's another Bike Watch. Not Bike Watch. You you do you did Strike Watch. I've got a new segment called Bike Watch 2023. Um, Crofton was kind of making fun of me in the notes because I wrote out here that I bought a bike. My intention, the reason I bought the bike uh, was because I'm going to ride it to work. Um, during COVID, we had two cars at the start of COVID, I should say. Uh, COVID is still a thing. Um, we had two cars and I, w- I was not driving it because I was working from home. They sent us all home. You know, we were told, hey, you need to go work at home, figure it out. Uh, and we did. We figured it out and we kept to, we kept delivering to Canadians. Um, but uh, we, the car sat there never got really used outside of a couple trips and it was already quite old and we decided to get rid of it. So we got rid of it, uh, I think in, I think in 2022 or something and, uh, haven't, we've had the one car since. So, but now, um, and you probably saw the news. I think we talked about it earlier this year. Uh, all federal employees are being, uh, told to go back to work up to, um, I think they're allowed to, uh, telework up to 60%. That's the current sort of. I would just clarify that they've already been working. It's their go to the office. Sorry. And I, you know what? I have people at the office who call it return to work and I'm like, Hey, it's return to office. So I apologize. It's we, we are, have been working. Of course we've all been working. Uh, but a return to office, we are being asked to, sorry, we're being told 60% telework. Now that is the maximum. And it, it is funny, like I come, I just clarify that, but it is work is one of those terms that people use to refer to both a thing that they do and a location, yeah. right? So it's like, oh, I'm going into work, like that's a location, right? Oh, I'm working, I'm doing work, you know. So it it is it is one of those things that's very like understandable to be yeah. like, oh, I'm calling it, I'm returned to work, I'm returning to the office is really what I'm doing, but I, we call it work all the time. But then, then people who are, are sort of a little bit less, you know, that, that want to really 
cause crap will be like, oh, you've been sitting at home in your PJs or whatever, you know, like not working. Uh, now you're returning to work. So yeah. that's why I'm that's why I'm always like return to office because it's because I don't trust other people. Like I know exactly what you mean, but yeah. I don't trust 75 percent of the time. There is no malice whatsoever when people say return to work. But I agree with you. I've met those folks and they are usually um uh a little frustrated that their role could not be done fully uh telework and um i get that 100% understand that they're i, I can uh, sympathize with their frustration but you know different roles require different levels of um you know being in a specific location uh you know um so yeah so return to office so anyways I really do not want to get a second car. I would prefer not to have a, a car payment, especially with our previous conversation on, on strikes and inflation. Oh my. But uh, so I decided, um, you know what, a coworker of mine, he's been riding his bike into work. And I was kind of thinking to myself, like, you know what, Peterborough's really done um, a good job at kind of connecting more bike friendly sort of uh, uh, lanes pathways trails to the extent that from my house to the office there is trail all the way shared pathways you don't have to share the road it's just a shared pathway with you and by uh, you and other walkers or bikers or what have you so like coming from the country and having no experience with city riding i have no intention of of getting around to like i'm gonna bike everywhere like my intention is to ride from home to work um and it is pretty much shared pathway the whole way like trails and uh no roads whatsoever which is which is which is nice i i mean there's a bit of road but it's it's um it's not highway esque city highway esque road it's uh it's just like side streets type stuff so um i hadn't ridden a bike in 20 years uh you asked me how to buy a bike or how to ride a, a, a ride a bike and it's like okay like i think i remember how to ride a bike i don't think i've ever purchased a bike before uh but luckily i had uh ashley helping me out with this one she's um uh really good at, at finding ways to to save money and i hate spending money too so i'm like you know let's wait for a sale let's wait to see what comes up used and the used stuff is it almost introduces a whole other element of it of like, you know, how do you know it's it, it's in good shape? Like, how do you know it's going to last? Like, what's the brand? What's the make? So rather than go down the used route, we we looked at Canadian Tire. Uh, we have two Canadian Tires in town. They're owned by different people, uh, different franchises. And we actually found one on clearance on one side of town when we, we happened to be in the other side of town and we we were able to price match it. And I think I ended up getting like the bike and all the necessities because I had to buy the the helmet, the bell, the the, the lock, uh, and the bike. And I ended up getting it for under the cost of, um, like the bike. I think was like five fifty, and we ended up getting it for two hundred or something because it was on clearance. And it was like a it's like a CCM, and uh, we ended up spending, you know, like under under the amount of of the complete purchase for everything we bought. And, uh, and we ended up, yeah. So I was like, I was really happy with that. Cause I, I, like I said, I do hate spending money, especially on things that I'm <laughs> not really sure how it's going to go. Cause like I said, I haven't ridden a bike in 20 years and I've never ridden a bike in town. I've lived here for 
over a decade uh and it's it i've not ridden a bike here but um yeah so the big thing for me was like i i remember the horror story you told of your bike being stolen so the first thing on my brain was like how the hell am i going to lock this thing up and be able to work <laughs> you know because like i'll just be constantly worrying about my bike i ended up buying like um it's like not a heavy, like it's a cable lock. But as soon as I, I told my uh, coworker that he's like, oh no, those can be cut no matter how thick they are. You got to get like a steel metal U lock. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it depends. Like they can, they can be cut. It, it It's just, it's, you know, you can wrap them a couple of times and it becomes like, you know, what's your area like, because partly it's a deterrent. Because I have the th- those big steel uh, kryptonite locks are heavy. And anyway, I just like if, if if a lot of bikes get ripped in front of your work, then yeah, invest in one of those. Like definitely, I wish I had one in front of Plastic Portage where I used to work. But like I go to the strike every day to walk right now, and my bike's in a very public space easily. Like nobody would clip it, and I and I, but yet I lug this super heavy lock every day, and it's really, I just you know I I kind of wish that I had just one of those those uh, chain locks. So I guess it depends. I don't yeah. know your neighborhood. No, I mean, and you know, our work is it's it's on a trail, and I know like when uh, when there wasn't a lot of folks at the office, they were struggling with you know some uh security like people walking around the parking lot checking doors and poking their heads in indoors and such and i think that would just came down to like there was less folks around um but there is like the 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 bike rack is like right outside the front entrance like i feel like it would be fine and i even said like look if i get like really paranoid or or what have you like i can i can probably park it in the put it in the compound or or even put it in the garage like work that arrangement out. Like it shouldn't, it wouldn't be that big a deal. It'd be out of the way and it would be locked. So like, I, I think I can get my brain around that. I just, I have no, like my experience with riding a bike was like in the middle of nowhere. And you, you know, the way you put your bike away is you put it in, in the barn or you set it up against the barn or you put it on the grass and got yelled at by your mom. Like that's, that's my experience with riding a bike long time ago. Right. Uh, so I, I I'll get there, I'll get that comfort level and you know, I don't want the bike to be stolen, but I feel like, I feel like I have a pretty good, I, I should be fine where I am. Like I did have, I was going to ride in this week, but I had a meeting downtown at lunch and I was thinking to myself like, yeah, like I don't think I'm quite there comfort level and, you know, peace of mind of, like the the second place I'm gonna lock it up is gonna be in a in a less than ideal uh place in town, right? So I'm like, ah, uh, yeah, you know, people tell these stories of like if you if you park your bike at the at the bus stop, it's pretty much like a guarantee it's gonna it's gonna get it's gonna get looked at. But you're right, like it's about it's about reducing the crime of opportunity, right? And um, but yeah, I was. But the coworker of mine who was telling me about bikes, like he used to work in downtown Vancouver and he'd say, yeah, I'd, I take my wheel, I take my front wheel off and even my seat. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, what's the point? You might as well just walk. <laughs> like you're taking apart your, yeah, your uh, vehicle. No, right. That's exactly like, I mean, I would, 
yeah, that's a lot for sure. It uh, is a lot. Like it, I've seen folks is, like put a plastic bag on their seat so it doesn't get wet. Like to me, that yeah. seems like proper security. Well, taking but. off seat is something I see a lot because it's not too hard to do. Is the the whole wheel? That's that's you're starting to get real. It's yeah, it's starting to get difficult. It's funny speaking about biking because Gwen is, um, you know, she's eight years old and, and does not know how to bike and is now embarrassed about it. And uh, she's now she's a very big eight year old. Like she's as tall as the sixth graders. Um, she's no longer fits on my trail of bike. Uh, like she's not so this summer she kind of needs to learn how to bike but she doesn't want to learn on our street she doesn't want anybody to see her i feel really bad about this um i it's very hard to teach someone to ride a bike like i i i thought it would be easy to teach my kids to ride bikes but really like those balance bikes are very important at a young age like if they're if they don't if they don't screw around on those and get balanced and it, it's very difficult for them when they, especially Gwen is, you know, a little bit physically awkward on, on that stuff. So it, anyway, it, it, it's going to be a, a long summer of trying to get her. We're going to look to get her a private instructor, maybe to, to teach her who knows how to, how to help kids get, get over the hump on, on biking because, uh, you know, she has a bike. It'd be great if she could use it, but she's like, she'll just collapse if she gets on that thing, you know? Yeah. Uh, I know when we were, so here's the thing with Caden, who's just a year younger than than Gwen. Like there was this initial struggle of like you know that self confidence, especially once you're on that that bike. And I, and I think the stereotypical you know you see it in in television and movies of people teaching their kids how to ride bikes, or if you watch you're caught up on Ted Lasso, uh, you know teaching grown adults to ride a bike. Um, it's it, it like it's not easy. But I think like it just comes with practice. It comes with continuously practicing and and oftentimes crafting a lot of like running alongside a bike and promising not to let go and then having a judgment call of like, yeah, I'm just going to let go and see how this goes and and make sure they don't run into any cars or I what I said to Caden was, look, if you're going to bail, bail to the right because the left is the road. Um, so uh-huh. just keep that in mind, <laughs> you know, um, and we, we have a very, like, I'm not talking about like the sidewalks right up against the road. Like there is obviously buffer on both sides, but I, I did say to him, look, if you're, if you're going to bail, just, just try to aim to the, aim to the right away from the road. Seems like pretty safe advice. And I think for Caden, it took him a couple tries, uh, but it really came down to like, is that confidence ready? And if and you have to build up that confidence and if it's not there, it's going to take longer. Um, yeah, it's but not yeah, there. I, I think, you know, what I would suggest, and and uh, we had a really good time. So, I, like I said, I haven't ridden a bike in 20 years. And my, and my I was kind of having fun with the kids. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I'll be able to do it. Like, you know, I know they say it's like riding a bike. You just get back on, you're good. So I said, the kids were like, so, so dad, like, do you have training wheels? And I'm like, no, I don't have training wheels. I'm just going to have to get back on that bike and see how it goes. And then, well, don't worry, dad, we'll teach you. We'll, we'll teach you how to ride your bike. So we took it to a trail rather than going on the sidewalk. We took it to a trail and just like a, like a, a paved trail, like sort of a a walking or running trail. And, um, we went for our first sort of city trail ride and I get on the bike and the kids are kind of like coaching me and, and, uh, I, I, I just go like, it was like, it's like they say, it was just like riding a bike, got back on and I was good to go and it all came back. Um, but, 
I think I would suggest that. Like, honestly, if she doesn't really want to do it on the sidewalk, and I get that because the sidewalk's kind of raised, there's cars driving around. Like, I know Ottawa is, is known for its its walking and running trails. Probably don't go next to the canal. That would probably add to the fear of, of falling. But find, like, a less busy trail area where there's, you know, it's open space on both sides. It's not as busy. Maybe go on, like, a... Like, a, yeah, I don't know, like find a, a time of day where it's not as busy. And then like there's just less distraction. And that worked really well. And and for us here in Peterborough, we were able to find a trail that was, you know, it felt safe in that there, you know, there was plenty of buffer on on either side of the trail. You're, there's no fear of like veering off into a ditch uh, or a ravine um, or a canal. But uh, and, you know, it wasn't as busy. You know, we were able to have that space and uh, we went for a, a family bike ride. We even got like one of those like bike. So Ashley found this on Facebook, like one of those bike. Uh, I, I, would you call it a bike rack for the back? Like it, it hooks into the trailer hitch on the back of the van. Um, and we were able to, you know, transport all four of our bikes, mine and the three kids. And we all just went for a Went for a bike ride, and it's like kind of the first time Caden was able to go. So all three kids bike? Like, Isabel bikes? So she has, like, a balance bike, like, one of those bikes yeah. that just, it, there's no training wheels, but she's basically, like, Flintstoning right. it, you know? Yeah, that's that's how you get, that's what you got to do. That, that'll yeah. pass track her to bike riding. But so she's able to keep up, though? No. So I was with Caden. Caden was off. You know, I had to tell him, basically, like, hey, when I call your name, turn around, because I was kind of playing catch up with him but also trying to keep so all three kids are at different levels like izzy's on the balance bike abigail's with training wheels and caden's off like he's and you got to make sure he turns around or else he'll just go um and that's where he really enjoyed the trail ride because he was able to just go a little bit further because we're on when we're on the sidewalks i'm always saying like don't go past that car because i won't be able to see you don't go next to this don't go near the stop sign because cars are going to think you're trying to go across the road so like there's just too many rules on the sidewalk, but like on this trail, he was able to go a bit further and he still needs to understand the concept of like stay to the right, ring your bell when you pass people, you know, don't be swerving around like he's not he's still learning like the rules of the of the trail. But I, I would suggest if maybe before private lessons, if you want to give it one more try, do something on like a quieter open trail. Even if it's not, um, I think pavement would be probably the best in terms of like keeping steady and forward at a steady pace. But like even like a, a loose, like a, a small gravel trail would be fine. But I think maybe pavement would probably be easier to get going. But uh, yeah, I, I think that's your best bet. I think that's, it's just going to take the, building that confidence. And like Abby does is not there yet. Like we, we tried taking the training wheels off because she was like, oh, I want to be like Caden. And the confidence just wasn't there yet. Like the, as soon as I let go, it was like freeze, you know? So ah, it takes time. Yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah. Well, yeah. You see, that happens to Gwen. She'll never do it again. So that's uh, the, the thing. Yeah, I get that. So speaking of Gwen, uh, one other thing that we're kind of dealing with or that we dealt with a little bit, like, look, 
you know, you've been pretty frank on the podcast in the past with some of the stuff that Cadence had to go through on the bus and, and some of it. And you, you will readily admit, like, sometimes he's, you know, a little rambunctious. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, but like, we have been pretty lucky with both Gwen and Clara. Gwen is super cautious and rule follower uh, quite a bit. And Clara is like, maybe not as much a rule follower, but kind of like an energetic, smiley, leader that she's often described as kind of a leader neither one of them ever gives us any problems with you know you know teachers at school or anything like that other parents often talk about like oh like oh we love your kid so much we'd like our kid to be more friends with your kid or whatever and so it's really a nice spot to be like where you're not you know i have parent vision obviously but um i also am able to 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 recognize that my kids are pretty awesome just generally um but what's happening recently is uh gwen who is um again eight years old now uh, she's in grade three there's not a ton like it's not a big school so she knows kind of all the girls that are her age and stuff and she's had some problems with with mean girls already uh and um Gwen is like, as I, uh, you know, as I said, like she'll, she'll follow the rules and she'll be, uh, she'll try to, uh, to help people. Um, but she's not, as I mentioned with the bike thing, she's not super athletic. She has this thing called hypermobility. I think I've mentioned it on the podcast before limits her athleticism quite a bit. Now this school is kind of an alternative school and they don't have like gym class where it's like, I pick you, I pick you. And then Gwen is last, but you know, kids are kids and in the schoolyard, you know, stuff happens and Gwen is, you know, not picked first for a lot of these things. And that's obviously hurtful, but there's like a, a, a gang of like cool girls, like kind of, kind of mean. And, uh, you know, she's, she's starting to share these stories and we're trying to figure out what the fit is. Cause we know some of the parents, we could talk to them directly but that would might be awkward. Maybe we talk to the teacher. We um, we try to get them separated or whatever for them to leave Gwen alone. Or, and this is what we've been trying to focus Gwen on doing, is we try to empower Gwen so that she's more assertive and she stands up for herself, maybe goes to see the teacher, maybe talks to some of the, the mean girls. And one of the mean girls was her friend and is now sort of fallen in with this other group, you know. Um, and so it, it just sucks eight years old, you know, you know um, seeing that already. And uh, as a parent, you're kind of like impotent to, to interfere in it. Like it's their own lives. They're going through this. Like, you know, this kid might be being mean to your kid. And again, like the meanness is such like very, like it's not, it's not bullying in the sense that it's not like she's not getting pushed around or, or, or treat. It's really just like like little passive aggressive things or little mean looks or mean comments, you know? Uh, so it is funny. It's not that big a deal, but it's also a really big deal to Gwen. And she's like explaining it to us at night. And it's really great that she feels comfortable sharing, but I just, you know, uh, we, we feel like we've made it through it a little bit now. Like the, the main problem was the girl she used to be friends with, but now, as that situation's got resolved, that the lead mean girl is is sort of turning on Gwen a little bit, and 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 um, 
and it's 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 tricky it's tricky um it, they're all in the same class the teachers are looking to set up classes for next year and we wrote a letter essentially saying you know i know there's other considerations but these kids have been in the same class for three years running right now and uh if there's going to be two grade four classes we'd like gwen to be in a different class than you know some of the mean girls right so yeah it is it it sucks yeah no and here's the thing my experience dealing Sorry, I shouldn't say dealing, but discussing my experience being a mean girl. No, 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 uh, no. Like working with the teachers, working with the staff at the school is that they they know they are cognizant of these kids who are acting out and being mean. And it's it's totally not cool behavior. Um, And and my experience with um, with with Abigail in, in a similar regard in her class, I remember having a conversation, like one of my first parent teacher interviews with 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 Abigail's teacher. I asked, "Okay, how's Abigail getting along with with everyone?" and and she said, "Abigail's really great. She gets along with everybody. And when um and I'm really happy that when she is spending time with the other girls who are very catty, Abigail will say like, "Yeah, I'm not doing this," and walk away and go play with somebody else. And I thought like. Look, she cl- does not get that from me. I am terrible at dealing with with conflict, uh, and and if someone's being mean, like I'm probably in the same boat as as Gwen, where I'm like, that sucks, and it's and I'm gonna think about it, and it's and it's it's a pain, but I'm. It's also really good when the teacher acknowledges, like sometimes, like yeah, those those girls, we've been working on that, we've been we've been trying to address their behavior, but Abigail handles handles it in a very. Um, I don't, I wouldn't like, I don't know, I hesitate to say mature, but it's, it's like almost like, yeah, I'm not dealing with this, which is a really good, I think a really good attitude to have when, when someone has like a, a negative attitude, uh, or, or just as being a, well, as you said, a mean girl, it's like, yeah, I don't have time for this, but like in smaller classes and there's, you know, like there is that it's weird, like to think that in grade, what is it two that there would be already like groups of kids that kind of are the popular ones. Like uh, that's unfortunate um, that the schools, like, I guess, I guess the school can't control it all, but like, no, it's, it, and it's like popular might not even be the right word. It's just like, girl, you know, they hang out in groups or they hang out in, in, in more than two pairings of two. And, and then, it's like if another kid wants to play and and um, they're like, yeah, no, we're not playing with you. Or they, in Gwen's case, they can run away from her and she's not fast enough to keep up, right? Because um, she's like not as physical as, as some of them. So they'll be like, run. That's the big thing. They run from her. Oh. And then and then she's sort of left left behind and that's right so it's totally heartbreaking and it but it but it is one of those things too where it makes you realize what valuable time this is like she confides in us and then she has great times with her family and wants to do stuff with her family at one point she's not gonna you know she's gonna be a teenager and just want to hang out with her friends and and you know we're still playing she's looking forward to playing kirby uh in the afternoon with me or whatever and so i i mean it, it is, it's, it's just one negative thing that's happening in a life full of positive things. So, um, I mean, if she's ever going to deal with mean girls, I'm glad it's now. And as I told, to, told my wife, Gwen's social skills are so advanced that by the time, like my feeling is like by the time that she's in high school and stuff, she's going to be, 
in a good spot. Like she's going to be, um, I, I think I, I prefer her dealing with this sort of stuff now than, than later on. Right. So who knows? Watch me be wrong. God damn it. I hope not. Yeah. It's, and it is kind of funny, like um, having the kids experience things with, with other groups of kids. Like you think like, man, we're really dealing with this already. It's kindergarten. It's grade one. And I, and, and I mean, it, it really just depends on, on on when they they come across you know those kids with those those behaviors so i i don't know like it's it's tough to it's tough to think about but it, it really does it can come at any moment and i think uh i think like for 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 my kids it's been it's been different for each one like you know caden's experiencing stuff that that abigail still hasn't you know experienced yet but Ab- abigail's like abigail's getting invited to a, a lot of parties and um and Caden, I think, has only been invited to one, but I think it comes down to like I said to him, like, look, it's it's probably just the difference in classes. Like Abigail's class has more parties and and your class isn't having as many parties. I don't know. Like But it's it's also the older kids are like you get like Clara just had her birthday party, she wanted to invite the, pretty much the whole class. We had to draw a line, right? Kindergarten kids are like, oh, I want to invite everybody. Everybody wants to go. It's some fun thing, whatever. But as soon as you're Caden or Gwen's age, it's different. You're like, you know, maybe down to a couple or a, a few friends that you want to come. And so it's it's you know, and or or you're consequently invited to less parties too like yeah it's in kinder in clara's class in kindergarten right now all the kids are inviting like all the kids and so like they're going to like 18 birthday parties a year or something whereas gwen is going to like you know maybe a couple uh, yeah so it it makes sense to me yeah yeah so that's that's also been the 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 difference there as well because i think Caden lost lost a year of kindergarten and while well, both of his kindergarten years were, were, uh, were heavy, heavy COVID years, pandemic years. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's been interesting. And, you know, I have, I have other issues with this school. Like my big thing is I went, uh, I was visiting the school one time and I'm first time seeing the school and I'm, I'm in the yard and I'm like, it's a field. There's no, there's one play structure for how many hundreds of kids, one little play structure. There's a shelter, like a little gazebo with picnic tables. And I'm like, and it's a field. And then every, (laughs) and Ashley would always punch me in the arm because I would over, I would kind of overreact. Every time the kids, I'd ask, oh, what'd you do at recess? It's like, we couldn't do anything because it was muddy. It's like, what do you mean? You couldn't go in the field? No, because it was muddy. And I'm like. Yeah, they would wreck the field, Ryan. Even I know that. Well, no, they would truck the mud inside. I get that. I understand it from like an adult level. But think of the kids who basically their recess is just waiting for the bell to ring. <laughs> like I, it does not compete. Like you wonder why the kids go stir crazy when you bring them back inside. You know, not all the kids are going to respond well to not having recess. And then I remember one conversation. I, I said, well, what'd you, what'd you do at recess? Don't you have like basketballs or soccer balls that you can play with? Oh no. Those are like the older kids toys. We're not allowed to play with them. And I'm just like, what, what is this? It's like a prison yard. They should play chess. Yeah, well, uh, see, they were playing Beyblades, right? They had like a Caden would go to the Beyblade Bay club. Beyblades. Where you don't talk That's about Beyblades. Chess. Yeah, no, well. Sorry. Sorry. No, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. You're not. So I guess, and then I asked Caden, well, how's the Beyblade stuff going? He's like, oh, it got shut down. Because <laughs> they're not, they're not allowed to bring them to school. But it was entertaining them. But I, I get it. Kids fight over collectible shit. But like, 
you know, I, I just, there's no collecting in chess. No, there isn't. Yeah. You just play the game. There's Gwen's in, Gwen's into chess right now. Which oh, is, that's really which cool. Is a, which is funny. Um, yeah, it's uh, chess is having a moment right now. For some it is. Reason. Yeah, all uh, thanks to Netflix, I think. Oh yeah, possibly. Or or possibly. the fact that Gwen's bringing it back. Who knows? Well, Ryan, we are running long, but yeah. if you, I see here, you have one other piece that uh, has been keeping you occupied with regards to. It's almost like adult diapers when you think about what they are, <laughs> like the the karate. Oh, right, right, right. The gi. It's like yeah, the gi. Yeah, yeah. they're like kind of. They're sure. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> That was a transition for you, Ryan. You nailed it. You nailed, you didn't disrupt the flow at all. Um, here's the thing. So uh, I mentioned at the top of the show, it's been it's been a bit of a tired couple of weeks, and I was trying to figure out what it was, and I think it came down to the fact that we've um, and Caden's been feeling well, like talking about uh, you know disruptions at school. Caden is such a stickler for his sleep schedule that any movement outside of in bed between 6.30 and 7 and asleep by 7.10 or whatever, Jesus! like even like a 15-minute window will disrupt his behavior the next day. Gwen's um, up to like 10. You really wow. Uh, if he were up to 10, he'd probably be... A, she's probably up right now. Actually, she's probably asleep. I keep hearing her up there, but uh, yeah. yeah, it's... it's uh, he and then he's up at seven. Uh, kids are different, but it's good that his is so steady. Yeah, well, it's 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 to the point where like if he goes to bed a little bit later, he doesn't sleep in. He actually wakes up early, so it affects him in a way where like if he goes to bed later, he wakes up early. But if he goes to bed on time, he wakes up on time. So he if he's in bed between six thirty and seven, he's up between uh like he's up around six, you know, give or take fifteen minutes, which is what we like to aim for. Um, but we really wanted to give him something else to sort of chew on because he's like, he, he has his hobbies and he jumps around between his hobbies. Like, uh, it was knitting last episode. Uh, and I'm trying to think of what it is this episode. He's kind of moved back to his Legos. He's got like these three in one kits that he will like build up and then take apart and build something different. And uh, he really he really enjoys that. And I think, the, you know, a couple of weeks before that, it was it was Rubik's Cubes. So we wanted to give him something a little more consistent, something after school that was his own, at least for a little bit. So it was karate. And we signed him up for a month and, we, and he was really excited. He's doing really well. But the issue is, is that it it really messes with everyone's schedule. So like I get done work at four. He gets off the bus at four. We quickly eat dinner. We have to drive across town for 5.15. He has 45 minutes of karate. And then we get home. And if there's no traffic, we're home around 6.15. And it's like, okay, you have to, you know, bathe, PJs, brush your teeth, and and, and get in bed all in the span of, like, negative 15 minutes in order to get, get to bed on time. And, and, like, you and I both know getting through the bedtime routine on a good day is is easier said than done. But when you try to compact that and basically give them a list of things to do in, in quick su- succession, it's like, no, that's not going to happen. So like this whole month, I'm like driving them across town two days a week because that's the other thing. It's like th- it's a membership and they say, well, you don't have to go to all the classes. But like, man, I'm not going to spend that kind of money and then like spend a chunk of money and and not use the membership to its fullest potential. 
which is to go to three classes a day or three classes a week. And um, it's just been a lot. It's been affecting him and it's been affecting, you know, me. It's been affecting, you know, the girls as well, because obviously they can't go to sleep until we're home because if we come in, it just kind of resets the whole bedtime routine. So um, it's been a bit of a struggle. So something we originally sort of stayed away from, which was the after school program for karate, basically because it was more expensive and we thought it would be more disruptive to our schedule. But I said to Ashley, I said, like, look, like, I can't, I can't do this. I can't keep doing this for, for, but I don't want to take him away from karate. I would do it if it was our only option. But I thought, let's look at the after school program, which is basically like he stays late at school. They pick him up at the school, take him to the karate club. They do a class of karate and then he's done at 515. Ashley can extend her hours a little bit, which the bank has already been asking her to do. So it kind of worked out. So now starting early May, he he and Abigail are both going to be doing a day of after school karate. Um, So we'll see how that goes. I think that will work a lot better for our schedule because Ashley works in that side of town. The kids aren't like finishing a long day at school, cramming onto a bus for 45 minutes and then running around like crazy until bedtime. They actually get to skip the bus ride, go across the street to the karate club via their own karate bus. Um, It's the same as a regular bus, except it has karate all over it. Um, So yeah, that's what we're trying next. And I think it'll work a lot better for everyone involved. Um, It's a little bit more expensive. I think it works out to be a little bit more expensive than than, uh, just the straight up membership. But I think it'll be a lot more convenient for everyone and should hopefully disrupt, not disrupt his schooling, which it the change schedule has been. I should set a betting pool for when Caden's going to be able to kick your ass. Because <laughs> Soon. I, I think like he's seven now. Yes. I You're sending him to karate. You know, we already, you know, he could ride a bike. We know that much. So he can chase you. Uh, you know, I, I I'm going to, I'm going to say like, it's going to be early. I'm going to say like at 12, he'll be able 12? to. He'll, so five years. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, five five years. He'll grow. He'll learn more karate. Maybe some Muay Thai, um, <laughs> some other some other martial arts. And then uh, you know, just like come up to you, say, "Dad, I want, a, I want a new whatever. I want, I want a candy. switch. I want a switch. Give me your switch now." And you'll be like, "No, Caden, it's Daddy's turn to." Oh God, what are you doing to me? What are you? <laughs> and it, it, it'll be like, "Give it, give it to me, Dad." I rule this house. Now you equip me with these skills. He has been asking when he gets to be the boss for the day. That's been a thing for him. It's like, we'll say, no, you got to do this thing before we go do this other thing. He's like, well, when do I get to be the boss? And I'm like, well, I think Crofton just answered that question. I just see Ryan like fading. Like he's, he's just got, Caden's got him in a full headlock and he's just like, oh, he's, and and as he fades, all he hears is, who's your number one (laughs) Caden? That's a comment. That's very good. Uh, uh, thank you. Thank you. I, let's see if I have that. Bye. I'm E-Member I'm Kaden. Bye. I'm E-Member I'm Kaden. <laughs> I, I would like it if that's what he's saying while he's choking you out and you're falling asleep. He's saying, bye. I'm your number one Kaden. You think that's a fade? Like that's him like doing his own his own fade? No, that's just you uh, blacking out. That's you, that's you blacking out. All right. 
let us wrap up here, Ryan. Do we have any listener feedback? No, no, we do not. So people should write in. People should write in. They should write in and look, look, think about all the inflammatory things I said on this episode about unions and work and all this stuff. Think about all the ways that you could flame me or show support. I mean, the best way to do that would be through listener feedback. You can email the show, dad at tgistudios.com. You can also visit us on the web. I don't know how many people visit any podcasts on the web, to be honest, Ryan. TGIstudios.com slash dad. All our episodes are there. But if you subscribe to our show, all our episodes are on all the feeds. Uh, And what's fun about subscribing to a show like ours is that you can actually hear our children grow up as we do this show which is uh, kind of an interesting thing. Like some of the conversations we had today about some of the stuff that we're talking about, like just even two years ago, it would be completely different things, right? Based on the age of the kids. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. You can find me at Croft and Steers. Ryan's at R. Murphy. And the show is at D&D Cast, where the latest episodes will drop. And that is going to do it for this episode of Dungeon and Diapers. Have a great couple of weeks, everybody. We are out. Bye, everybody. I'm going striking. Woo. See you in the quads or whatever Will Ferrell says. <laughs> Thank you.